Welcome again. Again, my name is Dion. I want to welcome once again all of those of you who are joining us online as we uh, say happy Thanksgiving to all of you, but we all know it's on a Merry Christmas, right? You're kind of done with that. How many got Christmas lights up already? I mean, the weather's been gorgeous. You'd, you'd kind of be, uh, you'd, you'd be, uh, I was going to say you'd be foolish not to, except I don't have any Christmas lights up, so I didn't want to indict myself. Um, but uh, we're, uh, we're moving into the Christmas season. Sounds of Christmas starts this week. I hope you have your tickets and that you're going to join us for that. It's an incredible Christmas show. Um, but we're still hanging on for one more week for this, this theme of thanks, of thanksgiving, of gratitude. We're in week four, step four of our series, The Gratitude Effect. And uh, we've been looking at perspective and optimism. We've been looking at courage. And now today we're going we're gonna to talk about success, which frankly isn't a subject that's unfamiliar to us here, or those of us joining online. Um, I think a lot of us are, are very preoccupied with the idea of success. We, we've studied it. We've studied successful people. We are in pursuit of it. Um, some of us have already attained to a certain level of success in life. Maybe you're sitting here wondering what on earth a pastor is going to tell you about success that you don't already know. And uh, here's what I want to tell you, that success is not all what you think it is. That often in our minds, we just kind of imagine that success is going to feel or look or be like one thing. And then we get there, we arrive, and it's not what we expected. Sometimes success can be a great blessing. And um, for some people, they wear it well. And for some people, success can be their undoing. Success is what makes them miserable. I'm, I'm curious, how many of you know these two guys here? At least one of them, you know this guy? Bill Gates, yeah, Bill Gates. How about this guy? Yeah, quieter, but I heard a few people saying it. Howard Hughes. Um, so Bill Gates, Howard Hughes. Now, Bill Gates, you know, Microsoft, richest guy in the world for a long time, still, I think, hanging in there, depending on how his investments are doing. Hopefully you also know that Bill Gates has, uh, has decided to do something crazy with his success, with his wealth. He's decided to divest himself of most of his wealth during his lifetime. So he and his wife, Melinda, started, they are, they're the leaders of the biggest private foundation in the world, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And they're investing in just all kinds of causes in the world, saying, hey, as a billionaire, you don't really need billions to live on. We're going to live comfortably, but we're going to give most of our money away. And I actually heard Melinda Gates speak a couple of years ago at the Global Leadership Summit. We invite you to it every year. It's like, come join us. Our staff goes and uh, we see it via simulcast. Uh, Melinda Gates spoke and I was just blown away by her. She was, she was so down to earth and so humble and so compassionate. Not the kind of person I would expect to be, you know, like one of the richest people in the world. It just, it just, she, she just seems so much more down to earth than that. And uh, they're doing really, really amazing things. And I look at Bill Gates and I don't know him. I don't know the ins and outs. But from what I can tell, success has been good for him. And his success has been good for the world. Now, Howard Hughes, he's also a guy, uh, by the way, these guys were born almost exactly 50 years apart. Howard Hughes also experienced great success in his life. In Hollywood film, aviation, real estate, he just dominated all different kinds of industries. Um, but but uh, actually, uh, any, well, I was going to ask if anyone likes to go to Vegas, but I know it's church and you don't lie. And you'd be like, no, Vegas, where's that? Um, uh, but uh, Howard Hughes is credited with, uh, with actually transforming Vegas from being this western outpost, kind of wild west place, to being the cosmopolitan city that it is today. That was part of his vision. Owned a lot of real estate there in Vegas. Um, he died with, uh, with, a, with a portfolio that was about $2.5 billion back in the 70s, which in today's dollars is somewhere between 16 and $20 billion. So, I mean, it's a lot of money, um, lots of zeros there. But his life ended uh, pretty different, not in exactly a, a positive way. Um, 
he, unlike Gates, sat on most of his wealth. Um, and he lived as a recluse for about 10 years in a penthouse in a Las Vegas hotel. Didn't trust anyone, didn't want to talk to anyone, just kind of let things rot around him. Um, he uh, didn't have a will when he died, didn't have a plan for his money, and so there were a bunch of fake wills that surfaced, and there was a big controversy about all of that. Um, he turned to drug use late in his life. And so this guy, he was tall, he was six foot four. Um, near the end of his life, he weighed 90 pounds. And he was so malnourished and emaciated when after uh, he died, he died, um, think, they think, to com- uh, think due to complications with drugs, that, um, that they couldn't even identify him physically. They only could use his fingerprints to make sure that it was really, really him. He died alone, he had failed marriages all over, uh, failed relationships all over. And some people look at him and, and they talk a lot about mental illness. And frankly, I, I think he did suffer from mental illness, but what I'm not sure is, is which came first. It's like a chicken and egg thing. Because here's what I've observed, and I think you've observed it too, that some people are perfectly fine, they become successful, they're, you know, they're fine, but their success becomes their undoing. And I think the question for us today is, okay, as people who dream about success, plan for success, work towards success, how do we learn how to be the one and not the other? How do we keep our success being a blessing in our life rather than being our undoing? And I hope you're dialed into this today because here's what I know about our culture. We are very tuned into success and we're, we're dreaming about it. We're teaching our kids about it. We're trying to prepare our kids for future success because we kind of assume that if you can just be successful, then everything else works out for you. And that's not true, is it? You can be wildly successful and it, it can be the opposite of good in your life. It can make you miserable. I hope in your minds right now there's a burning question that's, that's percolating in you and it's, it's what's the difference? What's the difference between this successful guy and this success, successful guy that keeps this guy free and generous and someone that you'd want to be and this guy where you look and you go, no way, that's a nightmare. I wouldn't want to touch that. I hope, that's, I hope that you're dialed into this today because I think this is a critical issue for people like us. In fact, let me pray. Father, Help us dial in right now. Help us to to just be tuned into you, to hear you, to focus on what you have to say. And Father, teach us the difference. Teach us how to keep our blessings from ever becoming our demise. Teach us, teach us, Father, how to to make our successes into things that, that are truly, that make us free and happy and open and giving and generous. Keep us from the one and give us the other. We pray it in Jesus. Amen. Uh, to help us today with this, this whole thing, we're going to go to Luke chapter 8. And uh, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells a really well-known parable. And I love parables because they're, uh, they're stories and there is no one exact right interpretation. Even though Jesus interprets this one later on, um, there are just all these layers of application in parables. They're just so deep and you can just keep finding new insights into them. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 8, page 1036 if you're here in the room in your Bible. Uh, here's some setup for it first though. It says, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is is Jesus' reign. He's he's describing a new way of thinking, of acting, of living, just a new way of being. Um, And so he's going around telling everyone about that. The 12, known as the disciples or the apostles, were with him. And this is interesting. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. So Herod was uh, a king, but he was really like a governor under the Caesar in Rome. And uh, he had great power, great wealth. This was his steward. That was his 
Stewart's wife. So uh, she's a woman of, of some, some success and renown. Susanna, we don't know much about her, and many others. These women, this is fascinating, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, the reason this is fascinating is because in the ancient world, women couldn't even hold property on their own without a male heir. So like their property, if their husband died, they had to have a male heir to kind of be the holder of the property. And yet these women had means, they had access to means, and they were choosing to use their means, their, their riches, to support Jesus and his ministry, this ministry of going all around teaching people. And so that's the setup. And I think that context is important for what Jesus teaches on next. So it says, while a loud, large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable, this story. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So, so there's some success there. But, but before that, I want you to focus on this farmer. I'm not a farmer, but this guy's reckless. I'm pretty sure this is bad agricultural uh, methodology here. here. Here's a guy who's just running around and he's just like, you know, making it rain with seed everywhere. So it's, it's not just on the good soil, but he's throwing it on the path. He's throwing it on the rocks and in the weeds. He's like, you want some seed here? Take some seed. I got some seed. He's just everywhere he's looking, there's, there's seed, which again is, is crazy and it's amazing. It's crazy if you're a farmer. It's a bad idea because you're wasting a lot of seed. It's awesome if you're not really talking about a farmer, but you're talking about our God. And, and that's kind of the point of Jesus's parable. We'll dive into that. Um, this, this is who our God is. He is this recklessly crazy, generous uh, one who, who, uh, who, who just blows our minds with his generosity. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but right away, you can see something about success. In some degree, to some degree rather, success is always a numbers game, isn't it? And so like we heard last week, um, in, in that message about courage and Jesus has slayed the giants for us and aren't we blessed to have Pastor Doug Moss such a gifted Bible teacher here with us I mean I, I'm so thankful for that guy those who aren't clapping didn't go to church last week don't judge them but that's, they're like what um, but you can catch it up online um, but yeah he, he talked about courage and, and so here's what we know about success that it takes a certain level of courage to ever put yourself out there to find success. If you are completely risk-averse and buttoned up and you'll never take a risk, chances are you're never going to experience success in a conventional way. That to some degree, you have to be like this farmer. You have to be willing to go out and just, just throw seed everywhere because it's a numbers game. And the more seed you, you put out there, the greater chance that something's going to stick, it's going to grow, and there's going to be a harvest. And yet, like I told you, parables run deeper than uh, just what you see on the surface level. And actually, I think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is, is maybe something even more important. Uh, because in this parable, Jesus is putting himself or uh, God the Father in the place of this farmer, this seed sower. And he really intends for us to think about each of ourselves. He describes it later on in Luke 8, and you can look along at that in your Bible if you want. Uh, he describes the different kinds of soils as different kinds of temperaments or attitudes or people. And so he starts with the path. Uh, you know people like this, and maybe you are someone like this. People who are kind of hardened. Um, and so seed gets thrown there. The word of God is, is preached. 
Uh, God does something in that person's life, and yet it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It just kind of bounces off because the, the soil is too hard. It's packed down. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, so the seed can't get in, and so either someone comes along and tramples it, he says, or birds come and they steal it away. It never has a chance to take root because uh, this kind of soil is hard. And then he talks about the rocky soil. Now, a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we had this big mulch bed and it kept just getting filled with weeds and we're like, we're done. So we're going to dig all that out and we got all these rocks and we spread all these rocks and we thought, man, we're done with the weeds now because we have rocks in there. (laughs) It's not how it works. Um, Weeds, plants, things can still grow in rocks. Uh, But what Jesus says is those things, they start to take root, but but there's no moisture, there's no depth of soil, they can't develop an elaborate root system to, to get to the moisture. So when hardship comes, when harsh circumstances come, those things eventually, they, they wither. So if you're willing to wait, you don't have to weed in a rock bed. Uh, it just looks bad and your neighbors get mad at you. Um, the thorns were the third kind of soil. So uh, this, is, this is actually pretty rich soil. It, it grows a lot. Not just the plant that you're planting, but weeds and thorns as well. And so Jesus said that this kind of plant, you know, the seed falls, it begins to grow, but thorns or weeds come up and they outgrow it and they choke it out. And he actually says in Luke 8, again, just a little later on, um, he says that these thorns or these weeds represent the anxieties and worries of this life or the love and the pursuit of wealth, if you get too caught up in that, that will choke out the things that God is doing in your life. And then finally, he talks about good soil. Good soil is is the soil where a seed falls and a single seed can produce a harvest a hundredfold what was initially sown. So, you know, this this is the picture of success. And Jesus describes what good soil looks like. He says, but the seed on good soil stand for those, stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So if you want a good picture of what it looks like to to be a a fruitful, productive, growing follower of Jesus, here's some tips. Work on your heart, a good and noble heart, who hear the word and don't just hear it, but strive to retain it. They hold on to it. They wrestle with it. And by persevering, they produce a crop. See, in here, again, parables are deep and there's a a lot of layers here. In here, I think we're beginning to understand something about success, the kind of success that is a blessing in your life and a blessing to others that keeps you free and happy and open versus the kind of success that locks you down and makes you bitter, imprisoned, angry, and anything but free. See, see the difference, and Jesus explains how it really works here, but people are all over the map on this. The difference is you can have two different people who are successful and they can go two different ways, and the difference is who do you credit for your successes? I think for a lot of us, when we experience success in life, in any uh, venue of life, when we experience success in life, we tend to think a lot about what we did to get ourselves there. So we think about our education and how we worked hard in school, our hard work, our perseverance, um, the risks that, that we took, the courage that we showed, the way that we stuck through it when other people dropped off, our innovation, our foresight, whatever it is, we tend to think a lot about those things. And those things matter. Those things absolutely matter. But, but I think people who experience success and that success keeps working for them and they stay healthy with it and they stay happy, I, I think the difference between those people and the other people who, for whom it's their demise is they understand that you can have the best soil in the world. You can do everything right, but it all means nothing 
if not for a reckless, generous farmer who comes along and throws some seed your way. And you see, I think this, this is the difference. This is the difference between people whose successes turn into blessings for them and blessings for others and people whose successes actually make them miserable and are their undoing. They don't understand to whom the credit goes ultimately for their success. And I know right now you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, but, but doesn't that count? The initiative, the risk. I can't just sit here and do anything. And you're right, but, but all the stuff that you do, and I know a lot of us have, have worked really hard in our lives, all that is is getting the soil ready. See, it still means nothing if there's not a good and generous farmer who comes along and throws some seed your way. Let's look at Bill Gates again for a second. You know, Bill Gates, um, he's this guy who's been enormously successful. All kinds of people have studied him. And one of the guys who has studied them is Malcolm Gladwell. You heard about Malcolm Gladwell last week in a different book of his. But in his book, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell writes a chapter about Bill Gates. How many of you have read Outliers? It's a really fascinating book. You you should check it out. I'm not sure it's all true, but it's interesting. It's it's an interesting perspective. And he looks at Bill Gates and he begins to describe, because you know, our normal story is, man, this guy's a genius. He's an animal. He's, He's just some sort of special creature. And Malcolm Gladwell looks at Bill Gates and says, nah, I mean, I think a lot of it is that he was born at the right time, the right era, when software was just becoming a thing. He was in the right place. He had wealthy parents. He was in a school that had a a computer that hooked up to a mainframe on a university's campus so he could practice coding and programming. And he knew the right people. And and he begins to deconstruct this Bill Gates myth. And, And he basically says, I mean, this is my interpretation. He basically says at the end of it, hey, anybody in this same circumstance probably could have done the same thing. In other words, Bill Gates, you ain't special. Now, I always wondered if I was Bill Gates and I heard that and I read that, how I'd feel about that. Well, this week I found out uh, because there's a 2010 interview um, that Bill Gates did with his dad and this whole subject came up. And I was surprised actually how Bill Gates reacted with so much humility. Here's what he said. He said, it's true that in all success stories, there's a certain degree of luck and timing. All these magical things came together in his life, including who I know. And so he's saying, you know what? There's some truth to that. That there was a lot more coming together beyond anything that I had, I had control over. And then, um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, part of his thing is, you know, so anyone could have been in that same circumstance. Anyone can do it if you just get the right environmental factors, right? And so Bill Gates answers that. He says, can you look at someone who's good and say, could I do it like them? And he goes, yeah, you could. With the right luck, imagination, and some talent. Does anyone else find that incredibly humble for like the richest guy in the world? He's he's given away some of his success, right? No. Actually, he does go on and he says, yeah, but not every kid born in 1950 or 1955, whenever it was, uh, not every kid born in 1955 turned out to be a billionaire. So, you know, give me a little bit of credit here. Um, but, but, But I love what he's saying here. See, he recognizes that everything that he did, it's just a matter of getting the soil ready. And that all of that means nothing if not for a crazy, reckless, generous farmer who comes throwing seed your way. 
Now, now primarily what Jesus is talking about in this parable is he's talking about faith, and that's kind of how we normally read it. He's talking about faith, and, and so the seed is the word of God. It's what he's doing in his ministry. He's traveling around from town to town, and, and he's telling people about God and his love and his truth, and, and some people receive it like the women, and, and they produce a harvest, and they're generous, and some people are, the Pharisees are hard-hearted. So he's talking about this whole, whole picture, this whole, uh, this whole picture of, of faith. And I think it's an important perspective for us to to hold on to always as we approach our faith. Because the truth of history is that Jesus came into a world not full of good people who were just clamoring for some good, solid religious teaching, but he came into a world that was filled with rocks and weeds and thorns and hardness, you know, packed down hard-heartedness. And he came, and you know what Jesus did? He poured himself out indiscriminately over all of it. Over all of it. Isn't that the truth of your story? I mean, when, when I hear the parable of the soils, I'm kind of going through the checklist and I'm going, yeah, that's me, yeah, that's me, yeah. I'm all four of those. I look into my life and there are, there are rocks and there are places where my heart is so hard and I'm so stubborn and I'm just not open. There are other things in my life, there, there are thorns, very real thorns in my life, there are weeds in my life and they threaten to undermine and choke out all the good that God is doing. And so I don't look at my life and the story of my faith and say, man, I'm, I'm just a really good person and that's why God claimed me and that's why I'm a pastor today because I've tried harder than everyone else. No, no, I see it differently. See, I see myself as this, this conglomeration of all these four different kinds of soils. And yet there is this crazy, crazy, generous, reckless God who poured himself out over all of me and by his grace, by his mercy, some of that fell onto the little patches of good soil in my life and when it did, it exploded into a harvest and it got my attention. And now under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, God's working with me and, and, and this is, again, this is what we should do as Christians. We should get into our lives and start pulling up the, the rocks and the things that are in the way and, and try to soften those hard places and, 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 and confess and ask God's help and pulling up the weeds and the thorns and the things that threaten the life that Jesus wants to give to us. In other words, we should be all about making our soil as good, as healthy, as fertile, as, as productive as it can be. But even still, what do we know? We know that you can have really good soil, but if God, if, if we don't know and love and serve and worship a God who is so recklessly generous and he comes and he just pours himself out over all of us, there's never gonna be a harvest. There's never gonna be fruit, right? We'll never experience any success or growth. We know that. I think a lot of us know that at least. And maybe you fight it, but, but you know it. It's well-established teaching. We know it in the realm of faith. But for some reason, when we get outside of the realm of of faith and spiritual things, when we get to life and material things and all the rest of our life, we we sort of act like there's a different rule at play, and that's simply not true. I'll tell you what, I get so tired of this narrative. This narrative that says, hey, all of my success in life is all because of me. I didn't have anyone's help. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I overcame every obstacle on my own, and so all of my success is mine. You know what? That is so dishonest. And if that's the narrative you tell yourself, you're lying to yourself every single day. That's just not true. Nothing works that way. But instead, instead, if you can take this thing that we're okay with in faith, and if you can apply that to the rest of your life, and you can say, yeah, I've worked hard, and yeah, I've studied, and yeah, I've, you know, I'm, I'm, at, I'm in earlier than everyone else, and I leave later than everyone else, and, and you can understand that what you're doing really is you're just trying to make your soil productive, 
But all of that means nothing without a generous farmer, crazy, reckless, generous farmer who comes along and throws seed your way. If, if you can grab onto that, that will be your salvation. Both in terms of this whole faith thing and this relationship with God thing. But that will be your salvation in life. That will be your salvation when it comes to your successes. That's the key between those whose successes propel them forward and and those whose successes totally undermine everything. Their blessings become curses. That's the difference. It's people who know that no matter what I do, it's nothing without this generous God who comes along and, and he plants a seed. And the reason I think this is so critical for us to grab onto today is because if you're sitting here today and and you believe that your successes are all about you, then you know what that means? It's all on you to maintain those successes. It's all on you to keep being successful. It's all on you to manage all of that. It's all on you. And eventually the weight of that will become so heavy that you'll become a recluse living in the top floor of a Vegas hotel because you're afraid of everyone. Everyone's trying to steal from you. They're trying to take yours. Or you're afraid to lose it because what happens if I lose all of this? The pressure of that will become your undoing. You will become tight-fisted and distrusting and, and stingy and angry and bitter. You will live in a prison of your own success. Mark my words. I'm getting prophetic right now. It will happen, Guaranteed. But, and hear me on this, but if you can work hard in your life and, and you, know, you, you can do the work in the soil and you can be proud about that and you can be grateful for that and diligent about that, but, but if you can also recognize that everything good you have in your life is because there is a, a good, generous, reckless, crazy farmer just throwing seed everywhere, then when you have success in life, You don't have to be afraid of giving too much of it away. You don't have to be afraid of losing it because guess what? If you lose it, there's still this farmer out there running around in the world just throwing seed your way. He'll come back around, right? Then you know it's not all on you. It's not all on your shoulders. That there's someone bigger than you who is at work in you. He's on your side. He's, He's been there all along. When you recognize that, suddenly that enables you to look at your successes and to be joyful, to be generous, to be free, to be grateful. See, it all comes back around to gratitude. We've talked in this series that grateful people are more mindful of blessings. That when you you just choose, and it's just a decision, you choose to be grateful, and when you do, you start to look at life and you start to look for the blessing. Both the good things that we all call blessings, but you begin to look for the blessing even in hard things. And I mean, this is, this is amazing to begin to do. You you know, you've got a flat tire and you're just like, not like, oh yeah, yeah, I got a flat, but it's like, God is at work here. I don't know how. But I trust that God is at work here and he's gonna use this somehow. It's it's a perspective thing. Then people who focus on the good in life, they end up being more optimistic. You don't struggle with hopelessness when you do this. You begin to see the world as a world filled with hope because God is on your side. People who are more optimistic tend to be more courageous. Why? Because they know Jesus has slayed the giants and we're not fighting these battles alone. And and if he took out the biggest guys, he's gonna be with us as we're fighting those other battles. And and so we get out there in life and and we, we model the farmer and we do crazy, reckless things like, like sow lots of seeds and tell people about Jesus and we do generous things and, and that takes courage. But again, gratitude fuels that. And then when we're courageous, we attempt more, we achieve more, we experience more blessings, we experience success, but it's only through the lens of gratitude that those successes keep on being blessings in our lives rather than being curses. 
See, here's what I hope you can take just to heart today. That the foundation of the universe isn't a narrative, it isn't a story about hardworking people eventually reap the benefits of their own hard work. There's There's a part of that that's true. But the foundation of the universe is that everything that is in faith and in life is ultimately the result of a really crazy, reckless, generous God who pours out himself, pours out blessing on us. And so every good and perfect thing we look at and we fall on our knees and we say thank you. And I think we're afraid of that because we think somehow that will diminish our worth or that will take something away from us. But I'll tell you what, when you live that way, nothing will be taken from you. In fact, your successes, the harvest, the fruitful things in your life, they will just, the blessings will increase. Um, Those things will be left to be blessings. So, you know, we're moving out of November, we're moving into Christmas and we're gonna get all caught up in what is sometimes the antithesis of being grateful, right? As you move into Christmas. Don't let that happen, don't let that happen. Stay here with this uh, gratitude thing because I said it in the first week, I still believe it, that there are very few times in life that someone comes along and they hand you a silver bullet and they say, hey, if you do this thing, it'll change a lot in your life. Your health, your relationships, your, your overall emotional well-being, your, your work life, But gratitude is one of those things because at the foundation of the universe is a good and generous God. And if we can just learn to fall down on our knees and say thank you, then it changes everything. Let me pray. Father, keep this truth anchored in our souls that we might never look at the world and think it's all on us and may never look at what we have or don't have and assume it's all on us. Father, help us to remember that The truest thing in all the world is that you're a generous God and you're at work and you bring rain on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the wicked and and you're just good to us beyond our deserving. And so Father, as we look at our lives, especially at the things that are, are going well, keep us from ever believing that story that it's all on us, it's all about what we did, that it's now all on us to maintain. Save us from that prison, Father. Keep us mindful of the fact that you are a generous farmer throwing seed all around and that we can live easy, relaxed, at peace, trusting that it's not all on us. We can do the work in our soil, but ultimately it's about you. Father, anchor that, anchor that, anchor that in us today and change us by it. We pray it in Jesus. Amen.